world of social media highlight reels, I want to see your process. All the messy details and screw-ups and repetitions and effort and lessons that are actually moving you toward those goals. Just like in math class, this is about showing your work. Guess who's back? I'm trying to get into the habit of doing these a little bit more regularly. And the very first request I ever got as far as subject matter was to please do a podcast on the menstrual cycle. And the reason that I'm kind of laughing thinking about that is because the first time that it ever occurred to me to maybe consider doing a podcast, I was driving somewhere and I, I don't even know why I started doing this. Sometimes we talk to ourselves while we're driving and I started just explaining the concepts behind the menstrual cycle out loud the way I would as if it were, I remember why, it's because there was the potential for me to maybe do some teaching somewhere. And I was thinking, how would I explain this to a class full of PA students or a class full of people? And so I started just sort of talking out loud as I was driving and you know, I arrived at my destination and I was like, oh, okay, all right, that wasn't too bad. And then completely forgot about it. And then a couple days later, well, first my coach was like, so when are you going to start a podcast? I'm like, well, it's funny you say that. I actually kind of just thought about that. And then as soon as I put that idea on my Instagram story, a former coworker of mine immediately was like, please do one on the menstrual cycle. And I'm like, okay, this is just the universe kind of nudging me in the direction <laughs> that this needs to go in. So anyway, here we are, uh, Show Your Work Podcast Episode 3, finally doing a podcast on the menstrual cycle. Yay. Um, honestly... I joke, but this is pretty important stuff. This is important for, I think, everyone to know about. Um, even if you were not born with female anatomy, you chances are you have someone in your life who is female. You have some academic interest in that. Like, there is some reason for everybody to have this information. And particularly guys, like, this is not a topic that they often feel like they can ask about. Like, they're interested and they don't necessarily get the education that they deserve on it because they don't always feel like they can ask their questions. So part of the show your work curriculum that is delivered for the first 12 weeks when anybody signs up for nutrition coaching is a, a lesson on the menstrual cycle just because I think it's that important. Um, it's very much, it has huge impacts on nutrition and training, but it's just good life information for everybody to have. So all right, so that's what I'm hoping this podcast is going to be is just a very basic overview. I am already anticipating that I'm probably going to get questions on things like perimenopause and PCOS and whatnot, and I may end up needing to do further episodes on this down the line, but this is going to be the sort of basic overview 101 that people can refer back to. Um, oh, and usual disclaimer, nothing I say constitutes medical advice. I am a healthcare provider, but I am not your healthcare provider, and I am not practicing in a medical capacity when it comes to this podcast. There we go. Legally butt covered. Okay. Now, it would admittedly be a lot easier to describe some of the basic groundwork here if I had an image to point to, but I don't think I can put an image in the show notes. So I'm going to do my best to explain this stuff orally without having a, without having a picture to look at. Um, basically, females, and by females I mean those who are born with female sex organs and female hormones. Obviously there's a whole spectrum of gender identity and I usually try very hard to avoid non-binary or rather to avoid binary gender terms, but in this case we're going to stick with the binary ones because that's easy. Um, females have three uh, sex hormones. 
estrogen, progesterone, and a little bit of testosterone. And all three of those kind of rise and fall in a cyclical fashion throughout the month in a predictable pattern that lends itself to all of these effects and symptoms and signs that we're going to talk about. Um, the, the one that gets the most attention is estrogen. Now, estrogen starts off really low during the period and then spikes really high in the middle of the month at ovulation, drops off really steeply after that, and then does a little kind of bump and then drop again as we head into the next period. Um, so it kind of gets the most action. Progesterone, that one is only produced once an egg is actually released. So that's not really present through the first half of the cycle. It's only present in the second half. And it kind of mimics the estrogen pattern of that little rise and then that little drop off through the fourth week of the cycle as we head into the next period. Um, and testosterone in women, that's really low compared to the other two. It's kind of just like if we're following a roller coaster graph here, it's kind of like a flat line across the whole bottom of that graph, but there's a little bump to it right at ovulation when estrogen spikes up super high. So those are the three main hormones that we're talking about here. And they, we also tend to describe the menstrual cycle in terms of a 28 day cycle. Medically speaking, anything from 21 to 35 days is normal. So plus or minus a week in either direction, but 28 days lends itself to a nice even four week split. So we're going to stick with tradition on this one when we're talking about this today. Um, and day one of the menstrual cycle is actually day one of the period. I don't know why there's this, there's this perception that the period is like either the big exciting thing that happens in the middle of the cycle, or it's at the very end. Neither of those is true. When we talk about it scientifically, the period is like the reset of the clock. That's the, that's day one. Day one of the period is day one of the cycle. And that's where we start counting from which means that's also the logical place for me to start describing a cycle. So if we're going to start talking from day one, it's ironic. We are most like men when we are bleeding. Um, that's when our estrogen and progesterone are actually at their lowest point. And so even though we don't have very much testosterone by comparison, the fact that the estrogen and progesterone are super duper low means that the testosterone is comparatively a little bit stronger, can shine a little bit more by comparison. So contrary to popular belief, this can actually be a really good point in our cycle for athletic performance. Um, now this is contingent on being able to manage symptoms that are associated with some women's periods, um, which are not usually caused by issues with their sex hormones. Those are more typically caused by prostaglandins, which are the chemicals that cause cramps. Prostaglandins are also, they do a lot of different things in the body and they're not all bad. That could be a whole podcast unto itself but basically they make stuff cramp. So they make the uterus cramp, but they also make the intestines cramp and other smooth muscle things cramp. So when you hear about symptoms like diarrhea, nausea, um, passing out even, all, a lot of these symptoms that can be associated with periods, those are usually caused by prostaglandins. And that's the reason that ibuprofen and other NSAIDs are particularly good for menstrual symptoms because they are actually prostaglandin inhibitors. It's not so much about the pain control, it's about the prostaglandin inhibition because it addresses a lot of symptoms that aren't necessarily just pain. Um, at any rate, the first week of the cycle, days one through seven, most of that time is spent having a period. So that's shedding the lining of the uterus. For most women, the first couple of days are going to be pretty heavy, might be a little uncomfortable as far as cramping, might kind of just want to curl up with a hot water bottle and eat snacks and watch Netflix and not do very much. 
usually though by about day three we're starting to perk up a little and the reason for that is that our estrogen which has been super low this whole time is starting to climb just a little bit because if you remember what i said in the beginning estrogen climbs up through the first two weeks of the cycle and peaks at ovulation which is day 14 ish so the first week is really all about a slow estrogen climb and when estrogen is present in the right amounts, we really like it. Uh, you can think E for energy. Estrogen makes us feel pretty good. The, the second week of the cycle, once we get past about day seven, that is by far most women's favorite week, whether we realize it or not. Um, that's the time when we're feeling physically strong. Our motivation to train is usually really high. We're feeling social and eloquent and kind of sassy and like, if there's ever a point in the month when you're going to want to kind of get all gussied up and go out dancing with your friends, it's going to be week two. Um, and if you think about it from an evolution standpoint, that's because evolution knows that week two is getting really close to baby making time. And so that's when we are going to want to kind of flaunt ourselves a little bit more. Um, but it's a fun week because your your brain works a little bit more sharply you can speak a little bit better it's a great week to go for prs in the gym because the the increased energy combined with the extra sort of power and strength that estrogen lends us it uh it makes for some fun some fun training days during that week now estrogen peaks at right around around day 14 there's some variation there that's when ovulation happens and now the egg that we release at ovulation has actually taken about a hundred days to mature. So everything that we are, the, everything we're experiencing in the second half of the cycle based on the quality of that ovulation is actually based on what happened to our health three months prior. So this is one factor in why, for example, if a woman has been in a steep calorie deficit and she's lost her menstrual cycle, it doesn't usually just immediately come back as soon as she starts eating more food. It usually takes a few months, and this is part of the reason why, because when she starts nourishing herself more appropriately and her eggs can start maturing the way that they're supposed to be, they still take 100 days to get to, you know, full full ripeness as it were and so there's a there's a bit of a delayed effect you're sort of looking backward in time and another important thing to note here is that an egg only survives for 24 hours once it's released so it is a total myth that you can get pregnant any day of the month that is not true at all that egg is only there for 24 hours now sperm can survive for five days those are persistent little guys so you do the math on that one but this idea that you can get pregnant any day of the month, not true at all. Eggs are not that, uh, not that robust. They only hang out for a short time. At any rate, ovulation marks the start of week three. And week three is kind of a roller coaster. Um, so estrogen was super duper high in order to prompt ovulation in the first place. And once ovulation happens, estrogen has done its job. And so it plummets. It's like a steep plunge on that roller coaster. Um, that does not feel great because as you can imagine, you've been having this lovely week two where you're feeling all strong and social and happy and energetic and everything is awesome. And then, you know, a day later, there's suddenly this really steep drop off and you're not crazy. You're really chemically different on that day than you were the day before. And that's a big part of why we feel such fluctuations happening throughout the month is that we literally are chemically different from one day to the next. Um, anyway, so the beginning of week three, there's a steep estrogen drop off and that typically does not feel good. It's almost like a little pre PMS for a lot of women. Um, 
The saving grace here is that the egg that's released leaves behind what's called the corpus luteum. Probably the easiest way to describe that is it's kind of like the shell of the egg, if such a thing were in existence. Um, and once the egg is out of there, the corpus luteum starts to secrete progesterone. And now progesterone, you can kind of hear it in the name, progestation. Um, that's the hormone that kind of helps a pregnancy stick, if you will. Um, it's got a lot of different slowing effects and they're not all bad, but they definitely do mark a distinct change from what was happening in the first two weeks of the month. Um, progesterone, the easiest way to describe week three of the cycle is that once that progesterone starts to show up, your body is going to temporarily assume that you're pregnant because, hey, you ovulated and you could be, and it hasn't yet caught up to the fact that you're not. Uh, because from an evolution standpoint, that's the smart thing to do. Like, uh-oh, there could be a little embryo in here, so we better make this woman eat a lot more, sleep a lot more, slow down in the things that she's doing, just so that we can help this, you know, potential tiny little embryo stick. So some of what's going to happen here is that our basal metabolic rate is actually going to rise. Our body temperature is going to rise by about eh, somewhere between a half to a full degree. Um, and because of that, we are actually going to burn more calories at rest. So we actually need, usually they say somewhere between 100 and 200 more calories per day in luteal phase, which is the second two weeks of the cycle, uh, versus in follicular phase, which is the first two weeks of the cycle. Um, so that is, that is actually true. So when women feel hungrier, it, you know, as they get closer to their period, that's completely legitimate. Uh, they actually are burning more calories. And the, let's see, other effects of progesterone, you can have a slowing of the digestive system, meaning you can get a little constipated. And that's because your body is trying to pull as many nutrients as possible out of the food that you're eating. Again, because it thinks you might be pregnant. It doesn't know yet that you're not. So it's trying to hang on to everything that it can. Um, we also tend to be a little bit more prone to heat injury during this phase of the cycle. We don't cool ourselves off as well because our body temperature is running a little hotter. Um, so electrolytes and hydration become a little bit more important during this phase of the cycle just because of that. But anyway, so progesterone is rising throughout week three. It's not going to a huge peak the way estrogen did at ovulation, but it's rising on kind of a little gentle hill. And we're also starting to make a little bit more estrogen at this point again, too. So by the end of week three, most women are feeling pretty good. Um, we might be seeing a little bit of a rise on the scale because of water retention and things like that associated with progesterone. But in general, we're starting to feel a little bit better and feel a little bit more like ourselves. The gym probably doesn't feel super duper powerful, again, because during this cycle phase, we are not inclined, we're not as inclined to burn glucose as a fuel source, we're more inclined to burn fatty acids. Again, this is our body shifting everything over to a slightly slower, steadier fuel source in an effort to preserve a theoretical pregnancy. So we might not be quite as fast in terms of sprinting, we might not be quite as powerful in terms of lifting, but what we are probably pretty good at during this phase is endurance work. So steady state things tend to feel really good, like we're going to have really even splits on our intervals during, the, during training at this time of the month. And we're actually also usually sleeping really well during this time of the month. Um, maybe not during those first couple of days after ovulation because that estrogen plummet is going to mess with sleep a little bit, but progesterone 
again, it's that progestation hormone. It slows us down and it makes us sleep more. So if you're going to get long eight to nine hours of really deep sleep, it's going to be during week three of your cycle. And so that actually also has the effect of lending itself to some pretty good performance stuff because if we're well rested and well recovered, then we're going to perform pretty well. And then right around that day, day 20, day 21 point, that's when we transition from week three into week four. Now this is assuming that we did not in fact get pregnant at ovulation because if you did, then your temperature is just gonna stay high and you're gonna keep on wanting to sleep and eat a whole lot more and you're gonna continue to have a little bit slower digestion and all that stuff because there is in fact a baby on board. Uh, but if we're talking about a regular menstrual cycle here, Day 21-ish is the point when your body goes, oh, okay, never mind, no baby. We can go ahead and get this uterine lining ready to shed and get ready for the next month. And so it's really very individual in terms of how a woman is going to respond to week four of the cycle. Um, really, this whole thing is very individual, and I'll circle back to that point in a minute. But week four in particular, it's just a, it's just a mixed bag. Falling estrogen and falling progesterone can lead to on in some senses you can have a little more energy and feel a little more inclined to train and do things but then in other senses those tend to mess with sleep when they drop off and so that tends to make you feel less good makes you more cranky and of course we're also still in luteal phase and so we're still extra hungry and we still need those extra 100 to 200 calories a day and so you can kind of imagine that a lot of this stuff plays off of one another a lot of the the symptoms that women experience during the especially during the second half of their cycles are not necessarily related to what the hormones themselves are doing but they're related to symptom management so if you are sleeping like crap well then you're probably not going to perform very well either if you are trying to maintain a calorie deficit and you're in luteal phase it's going to be a lot harder to do and that's going to feel worse than it does in follicular phase so some of this awareness is just about knowing where your body's at and what it's doing so that you can kind of prepare yourself for how you're likely to feel and have some strategies in place for how you want to manage that. And I think that's really my primary take home message from all of this is that our cycle is kind of an empowering thing when you learn what's going on and you learn how to track your own patterns. It's not just about your period. Your period is actually the least interesting part of your whole cycle. I mean, it's the most visible part, but it's not where the action is actually happening. And once you kind of identify how you feel on each day of the month, you've got a much better idea of how to, how to manage yourself, how to drive your own machinery on that day. Something I used to say to patients all the time when I was in clinic was the man flu phenomenon about how we've all heard about these men who get a cold and they're just on the couch for a week, just pitiful, can't move, feeling awful. And... <laughs> The, the women in their lives are usually just kind of rolling their eyes at them like, what is wrong with you? Get up. Why are you such a baby? But really, when you think about it, women are accustomed to a very wide range of normal. Some days we feel great. Other days we don't feel so great, but that's just how it is. And, you know, we put on our big girl pants and we continue with our lives anyway, because that's what we have to do. And so I think in some senses that that makes us tougher. It gives us more we're accustomed to a wider range of normal and so we can put up with more we're more resilient whereas 
men often, now it's not that they don't have a hormone cycle of their own, but theirs is more of a 24 hour cycle rather than a 28 day cycle. And they're just kind of hormonally flat for their whole lives. I mean, once they, once they start making adult levels of testosterone, they kind of don't stop doing that until they die. And so they feel kind of the same every day. And so I think when they're sick or they're injured, it's, it's probably very jarring for them. And so when you think of it that way, like it, our cycle is kind of a, kind of a powerful tool. It's not always convenient, but it's sometimes, sometimes an asset. I think I'm going to close by addressing a couple of the common questions that I get around cycle stuff. Um, and I, I'm laughing because I am forever asking my clients where they're at in their cycle when they're, when they're telling me about something that's going on because it's just such a valuable piece of data. And I've had more than one client who's like, I scrolled back up in our text so that I knew where I was and that I knew when I was gonna get my period <laughs> because they, it's not always a thing that, that people think about of their own accord, but sometimes just the way, the way they're talking or the things they're describing or how they say they feel, I'm like, well, that sounds like the post-ovulation estrogen drop or, oh, well, this sounds like week two all day long. Like, it's just, it's an obvious, it's a good piece of data to add to the overall picture. And it's, it's funny when we get it right. And it's really cool to see people start to gain that awareness into how their bodies are working and how they're feeling. Um, but at any rate, one of the questions that I get a lot is how the cycle impacts your body weight. And it's a tough one. The, the best piece of advice that I can give is when you're tracking scale weights, if that's something you're doing, if that's something you're comfortable doing, you should compare to the same day of your cycle, if possible, at the very least to the same week of your cycle. Um, what happens to most women is we retain a little water, we feel sort of puffy and bloated during our period, then that kind of drops off as the period ends. Week two is usually kind of our lightest and leanest week. We're not retaining much water, we're, we're, feeling, we're feeling good, we're feeling not particularly hungry, we're more inclined to go toward fruits and vegetables, less calorie dense things. Um, and then right before ovulation, most of us pick up a few pounds of water weight. Like it's not uncommon for the scale to change five pounds in the span of like two days as we head into ovulation. And then that drops off again during the first part of week three, but then progesterone makes us retain water and makes our digestion slow down. So then that can make the scale pop back up of its own accord. And then week four, you know, again, the hormones are falling off, so we're losing water, but then we're heading into those few days before the period, so then we're retaining water. So for most women, the few days right before their period are going to be when they're their heaviest. Um, for other women, ovulation is when they're their heaviest. And it's really just a matter of if that's a piece of data that you want to use, tracking it with a little bit of objectivity and tracking it with a mind to where you are in your cycle because that is absolutely having an impact on what is going on. If you're in a calorie deficit trying to lose body fat and you compare day six when you're super light to day 26 when you're about to get your period, you're going to think you're not making any progress at all. And in fact, that's probably not true. So yeah, that's the best. The best answer I have there is it's it's individual, but there are some common trends and that's something that you should document along with all of the other things that you're tracking because I think that's how most people eventually find a degree of sort of neutral detachment from it is just by understanding the data and seeing the same pattern repeat itself over and over. Um, another common question is whether or not to train with your cycle. Now, 
this is another kind of fraught topic these days. And the, the short answer is this is incredibly individual. <laughs> this is going to depend on the person and it's going to depend on their goals. Um, there is nothing wrong with, if you are a casual exerciser and you find that you feel like absolute crap in the few days before your period and you just don't want to work out at all, but then you feel great during week two and you want to go and work out every day, go for it. Like there is nothing wrong with going based on how you feel if you know that those patterns are consistent for you and if that's what makes you feel best. Um, if you have different goals, if you are a competitive exerciser, if you are training for something in particular, um, scientifically there is no consensus on whether training with your cycle actually makes a difference. Um, you will find a couple of studies out there that say that strength training specifically in follicular phase rather than in luteal phase makes or rather results in more strength gains. If you look at the actual designs of those studies, they are not well designed. They, there was one that actually included women on hormonal contraceptives in the study group, um, which is not appropriate at all, by the way. And then there was another one where I think they trained, they either trained legs with one group and then full body with the other group. I don't remember exactly what they did, but I, when you read each of the studies that supposedly found a positive benefit, there were some major flaws in the design. So as yet, there is no consensus on whether or not it's better to train certain modalities at certain times of the month because there does not seem to be an obvious physical benefit to making those adjustments. Now, what that means is that if you are someone with competitive goals or with specific aggressive goals, you are probably better off continuing to follow your training program as laid out for you, regardless of where you are at in your cycle. Um, because we are not physically less strong during luteal phase, we are just a little bit less easily able to access that strength. And as I said, that is in part usually due to changes in our sleep and appetite and our mental state. Um, like secondary factors that take a hit based on the hormones rather than the fact that our muscles themselves have suddenly changed. So taking two weeks off or quote unquote taking it easy for two weeks out of every month is absolutely not going to be how you make the fastest forward progress. However, it very much depends on what your goals are because not everybody has aggressive competitive athletic goals. Some people just work out because they like feeling good. So the bottom line is that this is yet another thing that is very much going to be an individual decision based on the individual person, how the individual person tolerates her cycle and what the individual person's athletic goals are. Okay, next question is, oh, on contraception. So an important distinction to make here that still in the year 2022 is not always obvious. Most hormonal contraception is not going to give the woman a natural cycle. The pill is not a natural cycle. Your hormones are not cycling at all if you are taking a birth control pill. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, we might need to do a whole separate podcast on perimenopause, um, but <laughs> the, the pill is designed to suppress ovulation. That is how it prevents pregnancy, is that it does not let you ovulate. And because you are not ovulating, you are not making progesterone. You are, your hormones are not moving up and down as they are in someone with a natural cycle. Um, the placebo week, the, the sort of sugar pills in the pack where people take a few days off from taking the active pills and they say, oh, well, I'm getting my period this week. 
yes, I understand that that is an easy way of referring to it and everybody knows what you mean, but in reality, that is not a period because it did not result from an ovulatory cycle. That is a, an estrogen withdrawal bleed. Um, again, nothing wrong with that necessarily, but it's just, they are two different categories of two different categories of biological phenomena that I think get conflated more often than they should. Um, the one exception to this is the hormonal IUD. That actually does still let the woman cycle. You will still ovulate with a hormonal IUD. You will probably not have a period, or if you do, you won't have much of one, but, the, but your actual ovulatory cycles are still happening. And so that's actually one big benefit to the hormonal IUD as a contraceptive device. Um, but the pill, the shot, the ring, the patch, all of those, all of those suppress a natural cycle. Those are delivering, those are basically like hormone replacement therapy, delivering a steady state level of hormones into your body every single day that you take them. So you are not cycling naturally if you are on one of those methods. And so this whole podcast, <laughs> this whole podcast does not apply to you if you are on one of those contraceptive methods. Um, oh yeah. Okay. And last question. I did, I just mentioned perimenopause. Um, somebody wanted to know about how they know if they're in perimenopause. Now it's, this is a tough one. Again, so much of this is just woman dependent, but Biologically speaking, the the first thing that happens with perimenopause is a decrease in progesterone. And so what that means, it, it can vary from woman to woman in terms of what that means, but you remember that progesterone is the calming hormone. And so a lot of women will notice mood changes. So increased anxiety, like that energy rush that younger women get around ovulation is usually more of an anxiety rush in women who are in perimenopause. Um, the we can also end up with some symptoms of quote unquote estrogen dominance. That's not a term that's very well respected in the scientific world, but what it means is if our progesterone is lower than it should be, then even if our estrogen is at a normal level, it is effectively too high by comparison because it's not being counterbalanced by the progesterone. And so that means we can get symptoms of high estrogen, even if our estrogen is itself at a normal level. So things like that would be acne specifically on the chin, um, heavier periods. And then there's this whole, um, hormonal cascade that happens in the ovaries that can lead to insulin resistance, which that's, again, this needs to be a whole nother podcast, but the, the change in where we carry our weight and carrying more weight around the midsection instead of around the hips, that tends to start during perimenopause too. And that happens in large part because of what's happening to estrogen and also testosterone. Um, and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to geek out on that too heavily right now because this podcast is already way too long. Um, but basically, oh, okay. And the last thing that can happen in perimenopause, it's also really common to see your cycles get shorter. Um, like if you've always had a 28 day cycle, it might start being 26 days or 25 days or <laughs> ask me how I know 21 days every single month. Uh, but at any rate, the, uh, those are some of the symptoms of perimenopause. You, you often won't be able to pick it up on a blood test because levels will still be quote unquote within normal limits. Um, perimenopause is usually diagnosed based on symptoms rather than based on labs. Okay. I think I have given a decent overview of a normal menstrual cycle. I am sure I'm going to get lots and lots of questions on this. I'm happy to answer them. I'm also going to drop a couple of resources in the show notes for some websites and some resources that I like. Um, uh, shout out to my former coworker, Sarah, because she was the first one to ask for this, although she was not the only one. And I will look forward to 
responding to any commentary and maybe doing another one of these. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone.